nobody's gets up in the morning and thinks, do you know what, I'm going to do a rubbish job today. Everybody wants to do right. Everybody wants to deliver. Everybody wants to grow. And so if you trust in each other, it, it creates that environment for growth. On the Happy Workplace project today, we're joined by Rebecca Stead, the Managing Director of Biomedical Data Solutions. Rebecca's going to talk to us about how she didn't actually set out to become an MD. She'll also give us insight into the MBA that she studied and how a homeworking thesis has informed the way the organisation is structured today. In addition to that, she'll give us an overview of a concept that she's implemented called Unplug and Reconnect. Hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Happy Workplace Project, Rebecca. It's great to have you on board today. I'm really excited to be having the conversation about some of the innovative things that you're doing at BDS. But I wondered if we could start our conversation by getting a, an uh, insight into the journey that you've taken to get you to the point of where you are today. I have to think about my journey to go back. It's been a, a good number of years. So I Went to, if I start with university, I went to university in Chester and I did business business information systems and I graduated from there, I think, back in 2001, so long ago. And then I started life as a software developer. And I had a couple of jobs as a software developer with a couple of different businesses before I joined Sanguine as it was in January of 2007. And I've pretty much been with this company since then. We've gone through a couple of name changes. Like, as I say, started out with Sanguine. In 2011, we became Stratech. And in 2020, we became Biomedical Data Solutions, or BDS. And in there, when I joined, I joined as a software developer. Gradually through the years, I progressed to project lead, then to project manager, then to operations manager. In 2015, I joined the senior leadership team, a team of three of us that was responsible for the overall running of the business. And we worked together and that was SVP for operations and development. And then, like I say, yeah, in 2020, that's when I stepped up and became the managing director. What a journey. Yeah. Wow. So that's a spanning a time frame of how long? 16 years by my calculations, yeah. And I think it took 10 years, 11 years to be on the senior leadership team responsible for running the organisation, which still shocks me even now. <laughs> how would you describe the culture at BDS? Well, actually, I'm going to describe the culture by using some of the, the, the terminology from my team. So we recently did an, an employee feedback survey. And they, they, some of the feedbacks that they came back with was that we are a great team feel that people feel listened to on all levels. They don't feel shy about coming in and talking to you. They feel that we're inclusive and all of those kinds of things. And that culture, it has been around for a great number of years because it's one of the things I talk about. If, if you were to ask me what kept me at BDS for those 16 years, there are two things really. One is the people. And yeah, we're all computer nerds. We all do our software development. Some people complained over the years that we don't talk very much. So we are a lot of hard workers, but we are have always been a, a, a team that have supported each other and had a laugh. And the other thing that is, is kind of off the, the culture topic, but the other thing that has really kept me there is the job that we do. So our software goes into hospital labs. So we're indirectly supporting patient care and, and making a difference. So brilliant. But I think 
without the culture there to support that and have that friendly background, it wouldn't be a, such a great place. You've obviously seen the organisation from all levels now. Yeah. What do you think drives the culture? Because obviously you've described it as being consistent during that 16-year period. So what keeps it on track and, and moving in the right direction, would you say? I think to a degree it's the hiring. It is the people at the bottom level because I have been through a couple of managers, even at BDS, that came very close to me walking. But I think it is it is the, the people that are there. They are friendly, supportive, professional individuals who want to help each other. It's always been, it started out as a, a family background and, and it's kind of kept that family ethos. So, you know, if people have something going on in the family, it's not, oh my God, you need to do your, your job. You can't leave this behind. It is go off, sort out what you need to. We've got your back. And then, and then we'll we'll come back and bring it in, and that's that's the kind of ethos that has always been at BDS as long as I've been there. So, how do you manage performance at BDS? There's a couple of ways really that we manage performance because we have gone down a more home working route. It it was a challenge, and also when I did my MBA, I did my final year thesis on home working and. Trust was one of the things that that really found when I was doing my research. The trust of the employer was really something. And at the time, our parent company, they weren't really interested in a home working policy. So we needed to find a way to come over that and address people performance. So there's two ways really we do it. If we think about it on an informal basis from people working from home and it, it comes out through, we do story points, we do sprints. The team effectively manage themselves and have conversations through their sprint planning about the number of stories that they're going to deliver on a daily basis, how many stories things take. If they find that somebody is struggling, those conversations are kind of had early on. So performance is kind of uh, informally managed in, in that route. And people do raise and they can identify when there are mismatches in across the team. And then we look at various different things. So we had recently somebody that the team felt wasn't performing as well. That person has recently got a new laptop and it turned out the laptop was a performance issue. Oh, wow. So you do need to think about all of those kinds of things as well. But then we do have our people performance management program, which is the more kind of official where people will sit down with their line managers and they will have discussions and, and conversations about how their overall performance is. And with that, we look at kind of what we refer to as what's and how's. So the what's are, are you delivering? The how's are about the behaviours and the values and, and how you're delivering in accordance with behaviours and values of the organisation. Fantastic. It sounds like you've, you've, you've got it right in a world where so many businesses are still experimenting with this balance on the hybrid slash homeworking piece. And I think the problem that I've noticed is that people crave control and autonomy which is something you get when you're working from home yeah. organizations need connection across teams across individuals and to the business vision and almost the two things pull in slightly different directions and you've got to find a way to to, to, to bridge them together so you're getting the best of both worlds and it, I'm, it's coming across to me that you've you've done that yeah and i think that is really for me what i would say has helped in that is doing that final year MBA thesis on it. There's a lot of different 
I mean, it's a good few years ago. It's back in 2018, so I'm not going to remember everything that was that was in there. But there's a lot of studies that do talk about, like I mentioned earlier, the trust is a, an, an element that is an issue for management. That if people are not there working, you can't see them working. How do you know that they're working? But then you can flip that on its head, and you can have people who are there. They are present, but they're not really present. So true. And so you can't really manage that kind of thing. You still have those performance issues, but the perception from management is more that those people are actually working. So you do have to trust your team. And the team that I work with, they are a, a fantastic team and nobody has ever proved that they cannot be trusted. So for me, it, it really kind of does work. It's a powerful belief system that because I think as humans, we are designed intrinsically to want to do a good job and to want to be the best version of ourselves and yeah. it's hard to remember that sometimes yeah i think i had um i had a, a, a colleague that once said to me is that nobody nobody comes to work wanting to do a bad job no. and so that kind of like sticks in my head as well so sometimes you know sometimes everybody has the doubts they do kind of question are we doing the right thing but i have that in the back of my head that nobody's gets up in the morning and thinks, do you know what, I'm going to do a rubbish job today. Everybody wants to do right. Everybody wants to deliver. Everybody wants to grow. And so if you trust in each other, it, it creates that environment for growth, in my opinion. You have given us some real insight there into how you've made the blend between home and office working work. Could we talk about Unplug and Reconnect? What is it? How does it work? And why is it so powerful for your organisation? So... Unplug and Reconnect, it was an idea I had long before COVID. And it came off the back of the fact that as a society now, we are more remote. We are going behind our screens. We've got social media. The kids are a lot more involved in that than, than playing out. And so the idea was that I'd love to take it to a huge level. My idea started as a huge level and, and communities and getting like local street parties back in that, that an entire community or an entire street can unplug from their home life, their computers, their TVs, their computer games, the works and come out and, and enjoy some time together and, and reconnect with each other, with your neighbours and your community. And that's where the idea stemmed from many, many years ago. But one of the challenges that I find from home working and having that in place is it can create this kind of idea of self-employment but employed, you become very isolated, you become disconnected from your, your team members. When I did my MBA, a lot of the theories there kind of talked about uh, what was best was a, a blended approach. But post-COVID, the organisation, when I say that, the team, they didn't want a blended approach. They'd got used to working from home. They liked working from home. There were plenty of other opportunities out there where they could work from home full time. And we did have a higher attrition rate for that period when we tried to bring in, right now we're allowed back in the office, let's come in for two days. But that connectivity, we really wanted to, to keep it, that connectivity, that stickiness that we talked about earlier about what drives the culture, the people, the connection. And so we had a lot of conversations about what we can do to pull that together. We did things like we've created a social committee. So they do lots of things. They bring people together. We have a WhatsApp group that's everybody, but then they have different groups that are like Wordle groups. They have a, a monthly quiz. They do all sorts of things like that. We also, with our projects, the sprint meetings that I talk about, we make sure that those are face-to-face -face and the sprint planning meetings and the sprint retros and we'll put pizzas on. But what that wasn't doing, what that wasn't achieving was bringing the whole team together, keeping that connection, even to, to myself, because I, I kind of have quite an, an open 
door policy. People can come and talk to me. When we move offices soon, I'm hoping to sit in with everybody rather than have my own office. So it really, those kinds of different things that we did weren't bringing everybody together and bringing cross projects to talk. So my old Unplug and Reconnect idea for the community kind of, I started talking to the social committee about bringing something like that in. And we basically, it's as it's termed, that we unplug from our computers, which as software developers can be a challenge. We step away from the office. We try and do something different and we've done lots of different things. We've done, recently we did a cookery course. Wow. Uh, not a cookery course, it was a cookery day and we had a training day and in, in, in different teams they went off and cooked four or five different dishes. So I kind of laugh and smile and sort of say I've had the entire organisation cook for me. It is that unplug from what's going on around you. It's not just the technical computers. It's, you know, come and reconnect if that's with yourself and you come and take the day and you just join in the fun and you just don't really want to talk or chat, then that's what you need. So if you need to reconnect with yourself, use it for that. But it's an opportunity to reconnect with the team, with the organisation. And it, it just, it seems to be working. You know, people really enjoy it. I really enjoy it. People are buzzing about it for a couple of days. We ask the team, we ask everybody, you know, give us some input on what you think that we can do for our next Unplug and Reconnect event. And we're open-minded and, and I try and leave as much as possible to the social committee so it's not me driving what we're doing. So can we talk a bit about the culture again of the business? Yeah. You've given us a really strong overview of how it works and how it's kept alive and how it's been consistent over that period that you've been with the business. Do you measure it? And if so, what are the mechanisms that you look at to help you understand whether it's working? I think if I look historically, our way of measuring it was possibly more down to attrition rates. And we do have very low attrition rates. But more recently, as we are stepping up to do more and more about engaging our, our team members in, you know, what improvements they see we, we can make as a business, as, as employers, we introduced an employee feedback survey about two or three months ago. Our HR led with that. And really, I think that's a, a huge measure. One of the statistics was that 89% of people who responded said that they can see themselves being at BDS in five years' time. It's a massive number. It is a massive number. It's a number to be proud of. But I think some of the other statistics we had, I mean, none of the statistics were, were 100% that we had, like in 90s, that people feel like what they do makes a difference. People feel and believe that they know the vision and that they're contributing to the organisational vision. The statistics were just, I was looking at them them yesterday. When, when I looked at those, you know, it, it's it's a mix of pride came that, that people do feel what we're trying to achieve in engaging everybody. We are achieving that. There are some people that did respond that they don't agree. And some of those, Amy's taking that up. What we said to people was, it's anonymous to myself and the senior leadership team, but it wasn't going to be anonymous to HR so that she could have follow-on questions and find out what we can do differently. And we're, we're sticking to that. So I don't know anybody who's given any of the kind of negative feedback. It is just the conversations that we have around what we can do. And there's always improvements that can be, be made. What role do you play in helping enhance the well-being of the organisation? I think the role that I play is a leadership role. 
is is the best way I can kind of describe it because it is everybody that's in it together. So going back when I first came on to the, the leadership role back in 2015, a few of us went off and we did the training for mental health first aid to give us an opportunity to understand and to be open and available for, for our team if they wanted to have conversations. Now, of course, that was all, all pre-COVID. And we do keep up with that first aid. We have the, the regular training for that that we need to to remain as a qualified mental health first aider. But then it's, it's lots of other things. So it's supporting my team with ideas that they come up with. So recently, the social team came up with the idea of doing a wellbeing week. And so for that wellbeing week, over the course of the five days, we, we named them differently. We, we signed up to the Meet Free Monday. We did training Tuesday where we organised for a yoga instructor to, to come in. Nice. And we get people talking about the different things that they do from a training perspective. We did walk Wednesday. The Wednesday was the wettest day of the week for the walk, but it was still quite warm. So they just walked to Morrison's, which isn't far from where we, where we have our offices. And then they went and got ice creams and then they walked back. And then we did talk Thursday. So we have an ERP system. So we made people aware of the ERP system. We also had somebody externally come in for the morning and make themselves available to talk about various different things to anybody. So there's lots of things that we do as a business that we have in to support financial, especially in the current climate. Mm. So if you wanted to talk about the different things that we offer there, the different health benefits that we have as an organisation, all of those kinds of things. So that was Talk Thursday. And then Friday was like Friday. So let's celebrate your wins of the week. Let's talk about those kinds of things. So whilst I, I have one-to-ones with all of my management team, they're also an opportunity. They're not just about work. You know, if you've got stuff going on that you want to talk to me about, you can talk to me about that as well. And then we can also talk about work. They're, they're your meetings. And those ones-to-ones are encouraged all the way down. So for my management team to have it with their team members and, and so on. And again, that was really a, a HR initiative that pushed that forward, that kind of gave guidelines that rather than what you're doing with work, you start off with how are you or you use that time to go for a walk with them and we try and make sure that we have those on a regular basis they're, they're penciled in once a week but it timelines don't always work out that they can happen every week but we try and make sure that they happen on a on a regular basis so it's it's kind of a, a lead by example is my role in in wellness and I do talk to them about different things that I'm doing for for my wellness and, and my mental health and clarity as well to, to could you share some of those with us so my dogs are number one for me. They are my, my mental health gurus. But anything I can do that's with them. So I like to, to run and running gets my brain away from, from work. I've got to keep an eye on them because I'm running with them and they're, they're by my side. They're on, they're on the leads. But I think without that kind of running piece, I probably would be a mental health wreck. But I also go to the, the gym. I'm very, very lucky in the sense that I am one of those individuals that can box things off. So when I finish work and I close that office door, that's the office closed. I'm going to say generally in the most, it doesn't always happen if there are kind of really stressful things going on, then my brain does tick over afterwards. But it's, it's kind of generally exercise, I think, and, and taking time out for myself. But the other element for me that is really key to mental health is the people that I have around me. It's the friends. We meet up on a regular basis. We'll go for walks together. We will talk to each other. And the family that I've got as a support network, they're all there 
to support me but also vice versa I'm kind of very much if anybody needs me I'm I'm there I won't kind of hide away from I'll use excuses it is that and that's kind of the community that I have is that mental health where we support each other so there's almost a personal unplug get away from technology get out into the fields with the dogs yeah. and run and reconnect by meeting with the friends and family regularly yeah. and having open dialogue Totally, it can go everywhere that unplug and reconnect i'd really <laughs> i'd recommend it on on multiple levels if i can take it forward and bring it into a community event then i would love to do that could you talk to us about your leadership style how would you describe it and what are the things that have informed it over the years as well it's a challenging question that one because it's not one that i often think about as a as a style what style am i applying i think what's what's formed it over the years is different experiences you know i have had experiences of what i really would not want to be as a leader as well as really good experiences from a lady who I worked with for a number of years. She was almost like a mentor and a coach. So I think that's possibly what, what I think about what I want to be as a leader anyway, if, if I'm achieving that, my team can, can tell you. But is that kind of person that supports them, that believes in them, that, you know, gives us a direction to go in, but also doesn't dictate what that direction is. And some of that has been a huge learning curve from going from management into leadership and also from my background being a software developer I'm very good at solving problems and so my brain my default is if you come to me with a problem I want to give you the answer and or help solve it whereas I've had to kind of manage that more to go well what would what would what do you think what do you propose and ask more questions and be that kind of a leader rather than... More more of a coaching approach. Yeah, Yeah. rather than a let's do this, let's do this, let's do that. If I'm going through stressful periods, I say to my team, I do, unfortunately, I do dip back into my comfort zone and I I just kind of go, okay, yeah, well, why don't we try this and then this and then this? So it is a mental kind of, I do have to switch myself on and, and try and stop myself from doing that. But it is that supportive, that's the kind of leader that I want to be, is the supportive coaching help you grow and think about what next for you think about what next so it's thinking about that longer term organization that at some point I do want to retire so I need to make sure I've got some good leaders in place that are going to continue the organization in the future. Could you bring to life what your personal values are then and why they're important to you? Yeah I think my personal values to a large degree they do align with the organizational values that, that we have they are about being with with people and working together so that kind of collaborative it is a lot about trust as well is is a huge personal value of mine but I will trust you until you prove to me that I cannot trust you and then it's a it's a challenge for you to get that that trust back and so I again I apply that with with my team and it fits very neatly into the the integrity side of things that we all kind of work with integrity so yeah it's it's those kind of people people are important technology will continue to change, it will continue to grow. But my values are really around engaging with people and supporting each other and and building that community process. What's the biggest misconception people have about you? I'd probably say it's that I'm confident in speaking in public situations. It's one of those that is is massively outside my my comfort zone, but I am very much a case of you've just got to throw yourself into some of these things because I want to do what's, what's right for people or what's what I feel is right. And so sometimes 
standing up and, and speaking out in a, in a public or in a room full of people. So they tell me I, I come across really well and that I'm so confident and really inside I'm kind of like... <laughs> Quivering. Yeah. yeah, but I'm quite, again, I'm quite lucky in the fact that I get my nerves out the night before and then I can kind of get into the situation and, and I try and make sure I've, um, I've read up and I know what I'm talking about and I'm presented it to myself in the mirror and all that kind of stuff beforehand but I'd say that's the huge misconception that I'm very confident standing up and speaking in front of a lot of people because I'm just it's, I don't enjoy it. <laughs> is there an element of skill involved in this and what I mean by that is in the role of managing director you will be doing that type of thing very frequently so have you found that with that frequency it's become somewhat easier over time? I think maybe a little bit easier over time. I think my my perspective is generally, and, and what I tell myself when I go into them, is that if I'm making an idiot out of myself, it's 10, 15 minutes, half an hour of my life, which when you look at it in that kind of context, is such a small, insignificant piece. And if people find fun in laughing, say with me rather than at me afterwards if I have made that idiot of myself then I'll, I'll roll with that and I'll take it I'll roll with the punches because not everyone is perfect and we all have a story and it's all fun at the end of the day so I think it's more about the perspective rather than the actual managing the nerves about getting up and doing it over and over again it's just trying to put it into perspective that helps me. And thinking about your career are there any moments that have provided profound insight into how you might change your leadership style or how you have changed your leadership style as a result more specifically? I think I've got several examples I think that I can kind of call on for those and some, some are good and some are bad. You know, there was a period in my career at BDS, I will describe it as I was bullied. It wasn't long after I became a member of the senior leadership team, this, this three of us that were responsible for running the organisation, you know, and I, and I reflect back and try and think about things I could have done differently then and, and why those kinds of situations kind of happened. And some of it, I think, is down to transparency. Perhaps I didn't bring people on the journey that I was on. Perhaps I didn't share enough with them. I don't know. Maybe there was some degree of jealousy in there as well that kind of they felt that they should have been put on the leadership team. So there's a lot to kind of like reflect back on from from that that how that's changed and and it's being that open person really trying to make sure that people understand if I do make a decision where that decision has has come from and have a conversation about it and I think it's also made me be more of an inclusive leader to try and find a way forward that me and my leadership team agree on together so we will listen to each other we'll have good strong discussions in our in our meeting rooms people will question each other and I encourage that questioning in those room environments rather than publicly later because we can get to the to the bottom of it there and then and we can come forward and, and collaborate and move forward so I think that's been one that perhaps when I look back more has has had a huge impact on how I lead there's other examples where with negative where people haven't been engaged they've come and sat in their meetings managing directors and they've just been sat on their mobile phones and just not really engaged with what's going on in the meeting and then gone right so what's what's been decided okay and then they've gone and I don't want to be that kind of leader you know the the team needs somebody to to be supporting and whilst they can make the decisions on their own if you're not engaged with them you feel not listened to you don't feel like you're seen so I, I, I avoid that and then I've had a lot of positive 
mentors, shall I say, and leaders along the way that teach me to, they believed in me. And so teach me to believe in, in others and, and come out with wonderful statements like the ones I mentioned earlier that uh, no one no one comes in, gets up in the morning and thinks I want to do a bad job. Yeah. So you've got to believe in, in each other. Thinking about future generations, what would you say are the key things that the next generation of the workforce need to be learning about today to help prepare them for the world of the future? I the think there's lots. I think, I mean, the, these days I think the the generation that are coming up are a lot more open to understanding each other and each other's differences. So I think there's a lot around unconscious bias that can be taught to them, not just about, because they're very accepting, but they, to a degree, need to know that the generation above are perhaps not as accepting, but that where those unconscious biases come from, they're not like nasty, they're not wrong they're just things that have been ingrained and how to avoid them so i think things like that i also think stepping away from your computer i read in a book recently that you know they they limit the age at which you can drink smoke all of those kinds of things should there be a, an age limit for social media because that is causing a lot of anxiety in the youth yeah and again it is that kind of if you can get out and connect with people on a face-to-face -face level you're not subject to that all the time. And so stepping away from that and, and being yourself and learning and understanding yourself and accepting yourself for who you are, because we're, we're all weird in our own wonderful, beautiful ways. We all have our own quirks. And if you're behind the social media, you never get away from it and never get to accept that that's who you are. And I think I'm lucky in accepting that I accept who I am. So I'm, I'm quite comfortable in that. So it's those kinds of things. It's about self-belief and accepting others but understanding what perception other people can have of you and that they may not be right but let's try and find a way to tackle those rather than anger or other things yeah i really like that what's your ultimate life goal to be happy i think because i never really when we were talking on the phone the other day i think i said i'd, I'd never really set out to be an md so no that's right yeah those kind of like huge goals of I want to do this, I want to do that, I want to do the other, you know, I, I don't really have those. I think if I was to try and think of a, a goal, it is, you know, it is that being happy and, and, and it's what does that mean around that? And it is about having the, the people around you, it's about having fun, it's being able to laugh at yourself, laugh with others and support each other and feel that if you've done, if you've helped one person, then that would be happy if you can help multiple people, then that was also be something that kind of makes me happy throughout. So yeah, go with that. How are you doing against that goal now? Um, well, I'm, I'm quite happy myself. Brilliant. Um, so we could start with that one. I do feel like I do make a difference for, for other people in, in supporting them, whether that's per personally or professionally, I feel like I am doing that. I'm sure other people might have things to say about that, but we'll, we'll um, we can ask those another day. Because I think that's one of the things is I never, I never want to say I am doing it because it is about perception. And, and my truth is that I feel like I'm helping somebody, but they could go away and feel differently about things that I've said. So I try is, is what I would say. What do you hope that people would say about you when you're not in the room? From a work perspective, I'd hope they'd say things like I'm firm but fair, that I do let them speak and come to their own kind of conclusions, but I will pull them up on areas if, if they're not performing in the, the right way or, or delivering on the results. But it is 
fair comments and that I do support them in their, their growth. I think those are the kinds of things I'd like people to be saying about me when I'm not there. Rebecca, we're on to our quick fire round. First question is, what's something that you've achieved that you're proud of? My MBA. Nice. What one word best describes you? Fun. How did you react to your greatest failure? Self-reflection. What's something you regret and you would have done differently with hindsight? Letting my emotions lead. The differently piece is a challenge because it is a case of sometimes you're in a situation and your emotions do lead, but to try and be aware of those and manage those. What do you like most about yourself? That I'm at peace. What's your biggest area of development? Not directing and allowing people, having those conversations with people to, to move forward. Tell us about something that you're passionate about. Unplug and reconnect. What's the best piece of advice that you've ever been given? That people, I've mentioned it throughout, that people don't get up in the morning to do a bad job and to believe in yourself and believe in others. And finally, what's one book or podcast you would recommend to our viewers and listeners? Book, I would say Leaders Eat Last is a very good book. Is that Simon Sinek? It is, yes. yeah. Yeah. Superb. Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a brilliant to get to know a bit more about you and the organisation and you're doing some great things. So if people want to contact you, how would they get hold of you? They can look on the website or LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn, so they can reach me via that way or via yourself if they know you, they can reach out through that. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us today. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast and to like and share the episodes.